Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And on this week's episode, Justin, we will be discussing match day 22 of the Premier League. We have many more listener questions. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot to discuss. We had a big game at the top of the table, a couple of big games at the bottom of the table. But we'll start, Justin, um, at St. Mary's, where Southampton took on Brentford on Tuesday and dispatched them very handily. It was a 4-1 win for the Saints. And Armando Broja scored a really lovely goal, continuing his fine form um, on loan from Chelsea, obviously, Justin. But, you know, a bit of a concerning loss for Brentford. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're obviously trying to keep in that middle table area um, and, and they're starting to fall below it, falling more into the relegation area, which is really obviously not where Brentford want to be in their first season in the Premier League um, in, in a while, obviously. And then they have, yeah, they, they have to compete there and, and they started out the season really well, obviously surprising a lot of people. Um, so we'll, we'll see how their season progresses going forward. Yeah, I mean, with the loss against Liverpool, which we'll discuss a little bit later, they've now lost four of five um, down into 14th spot. So, yeah, definitely need to get their form up a little bit more. But, you know, sitting on 23 points, they really don't need to do a whole lot more to kind of get to that 38-point mark, you know, which is pretty much going to guarantee you safety. So, yeah, you know, obviously not fantastic, and they probably won't you know, end up like Leeds did last season, you know, finishing ninth straight up, but they'll be okay. Yep. Yeah, they, they should be. And then we can go to the other game that both of these are, are part of match day 22, essentially, but they're, they're makeups from match day 18, right? Uh, it's West Ham against Norwich, Jared Bowen, the man in this game with the brace uh, leading West Ham to a two, no win at the London stadium. Uh, pretty straightforward here. I mean, you expect West Ham to get the win, that's that's how it played out. Uh, I mean, the, maybe the most surprising part was it took 42 minutes to get uh, on the scoreboard, and then and then obviously in the 83rd it, uh, to to put it away. So Norwich were in the game for pretty much the entire way, which uh, may be a little bit surprising, but West Ham got the job done. Yeah, I mean that is surprising, but at the same time, I I think it should have been much more than two. I I thought you know Mikel Antonio had a huge chance that he missed, which we were both unhappy about, considering we captained him on fantasy. And Jared Bowen honestly could have had at least a hat trick in this game, if not four goals. You know, missed a couple really good opportunities, but you know Norwich were giving West Ham way too much to deal with. That even though they they weren't clinical, they still had enough chances to to you know, get their way to a, a relatively comfortable victory. Absolutely. Now, Justin, let's move over to the Amex where we had the M23 Derby between Brighton and Palace. This was a really, really entertaining game. Um, and it was Connor Gallagher continuing, you know, yet another Chelsea Loney in really good form. And he just had a lovely finish with what was Crystal Palace's only shot on target in this entire game, it was pretty much complete domination from Brighton at 64% possession, 19 shots, but they were only able to put four of them on target. And luckily they got bailed out by walking. Uh, uh, how the fuck do you say that guy's first name? Joaquin Anderson. Is it actually Joaquin? Yeah. Here. By a Joaquin Anderson own goal in the 87th minute. Um, you know, not a ton that he could do about it. I was trying to block a cutback and managed just to beat Jack Butlin, who has been starting in goal for Palace during uh, Vicente Guaita's absence. Um, but, you know, this is kind of classic Brighton, isn't it, Justin? They should have won the game, and they just were not clinical enough to. Yep, back back to the old Brighton, isn't it? Um, it yeah, and yeah, first it's, it's Connor Gallagher. I mean, it's been his season continually finding the gaps, finding the spaces to exploit. Uh, and it's working out for him. He did it once again, just sitting in the middle of the box and nobody realized he was there uh, and, and just was able to uh, finish that off. But yeah, I mean, it's Brighton again. You see that um, they, they're actually uh, fifth, I believe in the, or sorry, sixth in the Premier League uh, in, in XG difference this season, uh, which is uh, another stat that they don't like. And they're sitting 
ninth, right? Which is still impressive for Brighton, but again, underperforming their XG difference that they, they did last season to a, a massive degree. Um, but it's starting to creep back in uh, with Brighton again. Yeah, I mean, their goal difference is zero at the moment. They've scored 21 and they've conceded 21. But, you know, as we say, the chances that they create a lot of the time go begging and they don't take full opportunity. They don't take full advantage of the opportunities they create. Um, and, but, you know, they're really entertaining to watch um, and, and they play a really good brand of football. And, you know, we'll get on to Everton stuff a bit later, but I would love Graham Potter. But we can talk about that a little bit later. Before that, Justin, the next game was the early kickoff on Saturday. First versus second, top of the table clash at the Etihad between City and Chelsea. And it was one moment of magic that separated the two teams, wasn't it? It absolutely was. Kevin De Bruyne, what a goal. Uh, I mean, what can you say about this man? He, he kills Chelsea repeatedly. He does this, uh, and it's very, very impressive. Um, just, just the overall game, though. I mean, Manchester City played pretty well. I think that there was a lot of talk about, oh, Chelsea were playing so well in the first half defensively. I know the Peacock announcers were giving him so much credit. Uh, I, I really didn't understand why there was so much uh, talk around that because it, it didn't make sense to me. There wasn't – it wasn't – that great it was just that the shots weren't going on target for Manchester City um and they started to in the second half of course but you look at the stats I mean 11 shots six of them on target uh, at the end of the game and I don't understand all that praise um maybe that's a little bias I don't know but the the press from City was really quality it made Chelsea have issues in the back uh, it it led to the goal really i mean phil foden people were saying had had an underwhelming game which maybe is true but his pressing created the goal uh, it caused Kepa to play a poor ball right to Cancelo who fed kdb and just you know stepped into that stepped into that beautiful goal um but yeah uh, another 1-0 win they did it at stanford bridge and now we've done it at the etihad um so it put City 13 points clear of, of Chelsea, uh, who now sit in third place after the, the Liverpool win that we will get to. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a pretty good performance, in my opinion. Tuchel, after the game, saying that Chelsea deserved a draw, I fully disagree with. Um, just more complaining from him, in my opinion, learning yeah. from I don't think I don't think the stats, you know, back that up either. Although, you know, the one thing I will say is, um, if Edouard Mendy is playing this game, I don't know if that De Bruyne shot goes in, to be honest, because Kepa took a step to his right, um, right before De Bruyne struck it. And, and that was the reason he wasn't able to make the save because it wasn't all the way in the corner. It wasn't like it was very impressive for De Bruyne to be able to get it around the defender and still inside the post. Like the angle was very difficult, but at the same time for Edouard Mendy, who's, you know, a couple inches taller and probably doesn't take a step to the right there. I think it gets saved. So not saying that that means Chelsea deserved a draw. That's just a point I wanted to bring up because, yeah, it's a, it's a good finish from Kevin De Bruyne. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, for Kepa, especially, you know, uh, you know, this is a point that's been hammered a million times. But for the amount of money that they spent on him, that's something that he should be saving, in my opinion. And it is something that Edouard Mendy would have saved, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair point. I also have to bring up on the counterpoint. I mean, he made a fantastic save on Jack Grealish um, in the first half. So maybe that, that one goes in. Yeah, it cancels it out maybe. But yeah. either way, City deserved the three points, and they got it, Justin, and they've pretty much run away with the league here. Um, you know, 11 points clear at the moment. You know, Liverpool do have a, a game in hand, but um, seems unlikely that, City will get caught. It's kind of the same story as last year, right? Starting off not incredibly fast and giving some other teams hopes, but um, you guys have just kicked it into another gear the, the past couple months or so. Um, yep. and, and it would take some bottle job for you guys to not – for it would take some bottle job for you guys to not win your, what is it, fourth Premier League in five years or something like that? Yeah, and it's it's also our fourth um, ten game, twelve game winning streak, or something like that. Because this is, this is our twelfth in a row. I, I believe it's our fourth uh, run of that long under Pep Guardiola, which is just uh, incredible. And now, Justin, we'll go from a team in 
literally perfect form, right, with that 12-game winning streak, to a team uh, in pretty much the worst form, and that's my club, Everton. And we went to Carroll Road in a game that seemed like, you know, it was, it, is, it was a must win, but it also seemed like the most winnable game that we'll have, you know, for quite a while, to be honest. And as much as, you know, I wanted Rafa out and I knew that we were very poor, um, I did not expect the game to go the way that it did. It was a Michael Keane own goal in the 16th minute, which opened the scoring for Norwich. Um, and then just like 90 seconds later or something, there was a counterattack. Adam Ida scores his first Premier League goal. And just like that, North City are up 2-0 on Everton. The fans have completely turned on Rafa Benitez. Um, there was no real spark in the game until Richarlison came off the bench and scored a quite ridiculous bicycle kick, um, which gave us a little bit of hope. But we couldn't find a second goal. It's another loss. One win in the last 13 games, six points from the last 39 available. Everton have taken the least amount of points since the start of October in the entire league. Um, Just dreadful. Um, Big win for Norwich, right? Keeps them alive in the relegation race. It's, you know, four or five horse race, Everton probably being that fifth horse. But obviously, Justin, the biggest talking point from this game is that, you know, pretty much directly after full time, there were reports that, you know, Everton's board were going to be holding an emergency meeting. Um, and that obviously led to the sacking of Rafa Benitez, which was announced the next morning. Um, and thank God, to be honest, because I've made this case on Twitter. I wrote an article, you know, Rafa Benitez's Everton is the worst Everton I've ever watched. And that's saying something because the beginning of 2017-18 with Kuman and the back half of that as well with Allardyce were quite awful. But, you know, there is no defending the results that Rafa Benitez got. I don't care about the injuries. I don't care, you know, about the fact he, he didn't get to spend pretty much anything in the summer, although he still brought in some decent acquisitions, Townsend, Gray, right? But one win in 13, Justin... And, you know, the worst home derby defeat in 39 years on top of that, it's just, he should have gone six weeks ago. Yeah, I I mean, it probably would have been beneficial for Everton had he gone six weeks ago. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I, everyone knew it after this loss. I mean, it was, it was terrible. I tweeted it myself. Everton must sack Rafa Benitez. Uh, It's just, it had to be, I texted you during the game. I mean, if, if he, if this, would you lose this game to get Rafa Benitez sacked? And you were a little bit ambivalent because, you know, these three points are, are so important when you're talking about uh, Norwich and, and Everton falling towards the relegation zone. I mean, Norwich now not – we're in 20th, right, all the way up to 18th, so they're only one point out of the away from jumping into 17th out of that relegation zone. Uh, so obviously a massive, massive win for them. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, it's it could be a beneficial loss for Everton if you think about it because of – it got Rafa sacked and if that can help Everton turn the season around depending on who they can get in as as their manager um yeah it's just it hopefully could be beneficial for both teams but we'll we'll see uh speaking of the manager though Garrett who who do you you want to see uh we've seen a, a few names thrown out Martinez from Belgium but it seems or sorry it doesn't seem that they'll, they'll let him go um so what are you thinking well, as of now, reports are suggesting that Duncan Ferguson will be yet again taking over as the interim manager. So I expect to see him back in the dugout at Goodison on Saturday against Villa. Um, and Leighton Baines, who, you know, after retiring at the end of Project Restart, has stayed uh, as a member of staff at the club. He was like a player development position, um, and, and he's pretty much going to be uh, Duncan Ferguson's right-hand man for the time being. Um, don't forget that Rafa Benitez came in and sacked the entire medical squad, um, you know, claiming that was the reason for all of Everton's awful injury records in the past couple seasons. Um, obviously, since then, a lot of players have still gotten injured. Tom Davis uh, <laughs> tore his hamstring. Andros Townsend broke his foot. Richarlison had the injury that he just came back with. They rushed Calvert-Lewin back too early. They rushed Yerry Mina back too early. But they have all left now too, so... Pretty much there is no staff um, in the first team at Everton, so they're, they're going to have a lot of recruiting to do in the next couple of weeks. Um, so 
you know, last time Duncan took over, he was only interim manager for two Premier League games and a cup game before Carlo Ancelotti was appointed. I expect that to be a bit longer. Um, in terms of names that are being thrown around, as I said earlier, I would want Graham Potter, but Graham Potter has made it pretty clear that he, that he doesn't really have any intentions of leaving Brighton. Um, so out of the other names, uh, I wouldn't mind Lucien Favre, which is a name that I've been hearing. I wouldn't mind that. Um, I don't know if it would be my first choice. There's been a lot of talk about Wayne Rooney, and um, he's been doing a great job at Derby considering you know they've had 21 points deducted and they basically have had players coming in and out and their financial situation is insane. And I feel like having Rooney, Ferguson, and Leighton Baines in the dugout would provide, you know, that's, that's Everton right there um, and would inject a lot of passion and fight into the side. And that's one thing I do expect from the game on Saturday is Villa aren't going to fight for this game more than Everton are. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that uh, game with uh, Dean Dean return to Goodison against uh, Everton will be fantastic to watch. Um, and then we can move to the uh, we we talked about Southampton getting uh, their win over Brentford. Now we they they lose to Wolves three to one. Uh, Jimenez, Cody, and Triore on the score sheet, uh, and it was but it was James Ward Prowse with the incredible incredible free kick uh, in the eighty fourth minute. I mean, what a goal! from him it's what we know him for isn't it to score free kicks um but yeah it, it just wasn't enough with wolves uh playing very well and, and kind of a little bit on the counter maybe uh, less possession fewer shots fewer shots yeah. on goal but but they they were clinical yeah and it also comes back to jose saw who we've talked about you know has been phenomenal this season and giving up one goal from the 10 shots on target Right. And, and that one shot on target was arguably the goal of the season, just an unreal free kick, as you said. And, and we're so used to seeing Ward Prowse wrap his foot around it up and over the wall into the top corner. But he put his laces through this one, got some swaz outside of the foot right up into the top right corner. Just an unreal goal. But yeah, Wolves managed to do enough on the counter uh, to, to get the three points. Southampton weren't clinical enough. Um, but you know, that that's going to happen sometimes they, they didn't have, um, Armstrong or, uh, Che Adams on, on the pitch in, until later in the game when they were subbed on. So Broha and Redmond started as their strikers. Redmond's not, you know, particularly clinical, is he? So, I mean, I think the performance from Southampton is encouraging enough, but you know, Wolves took advantage. Um, yeah, a, a little bit against the run to play, but, um, yeah, th that's what Wolves kind of do. And when you have players like Adama Traore, that you're going to catch teams on the counter. And they had a couple chances on the counter as well that they didn't convert. Um, but, yeah. It's true. And then we can move to another relegation six-pointer. Uh, it was Newcastle against Watford. Uh, Newcastle played really well in this game. Uh, in my opinion, deserved to, to, to get more. They just dominated the game, but they couldn't find shots on target. I mean, only one shot on target the entire game, which ended up being the goal from Alan St. Maxim and another solo goal. We talked about James Ward-Prowse. We know him for free kicks. Alan St. Maxim starting to just show that he can score solo goal after solo goal um, and did it again, right? But it wasn't enough because they had 12 shots, but only one on target. Uh, Watford beating them in both of those categories, but they – Newcastle did play well. They were really on the front foot to start the game uh, and still maintained more possession throughout the game. Um, but Jao Padro in the 87th minute to tie it for Watford uh, and get, get the draw. So neither team able to get that massive win that they needed in, in that relegation fight. Yeah. I mean, Alan St. Maximin, when, when you're talking about kind of the, the best dribblers in the world. Like, you have to put him up there. And in the Premier League, it's, you know, kind of him and Salah are a league above everyone else. Because, you know, I don't – there's not really a defender in this league that I'd trust to be able to dispossess Alan St. Maximum when he's on one of those runs. You know, he can pretty much do it to anyone. Obviously, Watford is a little easier than some other propositions. But, um, yeah, St. Maximum, fantastic player we know that you know if Newcastle can hold on to him they'll be big as a part of their project that they have going on now um, but it's a big point for Watford to steal on the road there keep themselves um, on you know alive um, and in 17th right um, had they had lost this game Newcastle would have jumped above them um, so yeah big point for Watford 
Um, and then, Justin, the final game on Saturday, uh, it was a thriller at Villa Park. Um, ends all level, 2-2. It was United jumping out to an early lead. Bruno Fernandez off a, a, like a layoff on a free kick, hits it at Emmy Martinez. It, he's a bit unsighted, and it's just a bad mistake. It should not go in. Um, and then the same man, Bruno, would make it 2-0 um, after a really poor giveaway from Morgan Sansom. Fred would pass it into Bruno, clinical finish off the bar and in. But Villa would come storming back, Justin. It was Jacob Ramsey who had a brilliant game, may I say, in midfield. Really exciting young player. He scored in the 77th minute after some good link-up play um, from Coutinho. Fred tried to get a tackle in, ended up falling to Ramsey, who smacked it home. And then Ramsey would get in on the left wing, put a cross in, and Felipe Coutinho on his debut scoring the equalizer and the points are split in Birmingham. Yeah. I mean, Coutinho is the story, right? Uh, in, in his first, I mean, we have to say, mention Jacob Ramsey, obviously his first goal for Villa Villa Park. Uh, and then almost, it should be Coutinho assist really. It, it won't go down that way, obviously, because it came off of a United defender, but, um, and then Ramsey returning the favor for Coutinho to have his storyline to steal his headlines. Uh, and it's looking like a, a big signing for Villa as everyone expected it to be. Uh, so he, he responding to Bruno in kind. Yeah. And Luca Digne also making his debut played pretty well, did what he does up and down that left flank the entire 90 minutes. Um, and watching that game made me very sad because the difference between him and Mikolenko's performance against Norwich was, you know, quite staggering. But obviously, Mikolenko's a lot younger, doesn't speak the language. First game, uh, in, well, second game in the no, first game in the Premier League. Yeah, Premier League debut for Mikolenko had a horrible back pass, honestly, which should have made it three for Norwich, by the way. But um, yeah, I think Dinia will be a really great addition to this Villa side, a clear upgrade on Matt Target. Um, and if they want to keep playing this, you know, free-flowing attacking style of football, which Gerard seems to definitely want to favor, you know, he's going to be a, a big help for them. And talking about another exciting game, Justin, we had Leeds traveling to the London Stadium to take on West Ham. It was a Jack Harrison hat trick, which gave the Lily Whites all three points. Bowen and Fornells on the score sheet for West Ham in a back-and-forth game. But in the end, it was Marcelo Bielsa's men who picked up a huge three points on the road against a very solid team. I was very impressed with their attacking display. Yeah, from, from the very start, from the kickoff, it was Leeds just taking it to West Ham. Uh, it, it, uh, this is why everyone loves watching Leeds. They get criticism all the time because they'll lose in, in pretty terrible fashion. But they'll also provide these incredible wins uh, with, you know, Leeds sitting in 15th place and West Ham all the way up in a Champions League spot. And Leeds will go in uh, to the London Stadium and, and take the win. With, I've obviously, you got to give Jack Harrison the credit. The, his first hat trick of his senior career. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just what a performance from Leeds all around. It was, it was really, really fun to watch that game. And moving on to the final game of the game week it was Liverpool hosting Brentford obviously already mentioned that Brentford did lose this game not really surprising despite the absence of Mane and Salah but uh it was you know some interesting names getting on the score sheet for Liverpool is Fabinho <laughs> who opened the scoring just before halftime and then Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain made it two at the back post and finished off by Takumi Minamino off a nice assist from Bobby Firmino um, very, very comfortable win for Liverpool despite those absences. Look at these stats, Justin. 27 yep. shots, 13 on target, 69% possession. That is utter domination at home from the Reds. Took the words out of my mouth there. I mean, it doesn't get more dominant than this performance from Liverpool. Uh, you, you said it. The stats bared out. You, you watched the game. It looked that way. Uh, it's it's what you expect, but to see it to see it that dominant is is very impressive from Liverpool with, with missing their two best players. Especially when you contrast it to their performance against Arsenal in the first leg of um, the Carabao Cup semi final, as we were talking about, 
um, last week about what would happen in that. And I predicted that Arsenal would go through and Arsenal did manage to get a nil nil in that game, right? Justin Liverpool were relatively neutralized by Arsenal's backline. Ben White had a phenomenal game. And then Minamino who, who scored this time around blazed open over a gaping open net with Ramsdale nowhere to be found, but he scored this one when it didn't matter. Um, but we'll see what happens in that second leg at uh, the Emirates. It's going to be really, inter- really, really interesting. And on that point, Justin, we saw Chelsea take care of business at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They go through. So the winner of the Liverpool Arsenal tie, um, which will be decided by that second leg, will face Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final. Yeah, it, it really is hard to not look at Arsenal as favorites to go through uh, to, to your prediction after they were able to, with 10 men for, for, for two-thirds of the game, uh, over. Right, because Granit Xhaka is a moron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he gets sent off quite a bit, doesn't he? Um, it was such but, a bad challenge, man. Yeah, it, it sure was. And, and But to Arsenal's credit, I mean, we're able to uh, fi- find a way to prevent Liverpool from getting through, even with 17 shots. Uh, no, no way for them to score a goal. Yeah, so that's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I saw a report today, actually, that Arsenal are trying to get that game postponed as well after having, obviously, the North London Derby uh, postponed. That was supposed to be yesterday, um, you know, was not. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding it just because it seems like the Premier League's threshold for accepting these requests to postpone is pretty low because Arsenal really had enough players. They just didn't want to play with out some of the ones that they didn't have, if that makes sense. So I personally think that the Premier League needs to uh, be a bit more strict. We've had 21 postponements. That's simply too many, in my opinion, especially when, you know, for the ones that are warranted, right? If you're going to have eight outfield players, then yeah, sure. But a lot of the time that has not been the case. So I really hope that does get changed. Yep. We heard, we heard some thoughts from Gary Neville, right? uh, To that effect that it's become, uh, not about COVID, but just about if you have players injured or on international duty and you just, you know, want, want your full squad and so you get your game postponed. That's, that's not how it should be. If there are COVID issues, uh, absolutely no question. But injuries are part of the game. International duty is part of the game. Uh, and these are things that have to be dealt with by clubs. Yep, you have U23s for a reason, right? Bring them through yep. the pipeline. And with you know, that, we can the, move make, make your academy important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with that, we can move on and, and your training staff, you know, I mean, there's right. been a lot of talk about Man City versus Liverpool and, and Chelsea and, and how, you know, not just COVID cases, but injuries and a lot of complaints from the, the latter two managers. But uh, with that, we can move on to the great questions that we get. We got a ton of questions um, as usual from our listeners. Garrett, which one would you like to start off with? That's a very good question. Um, you know what, Justin? Let's start with one of JP's questions, a friend of the pod, a fellow LAFC supporter with Justin. And he said, when are you going to invite a fan of the real team in Manchester on the pod, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, JP. Uh, yes, he, he is a, he's a Manchester United fan, so it has to give me a little stick there. But I think that uh, with... You City sitting, what is it, 23 points above Manchester United. We know what the, who the real team in Manchester is. Um, but it's a great question because uh, it's, it, it's a perfect segue because we would love to announce that starting next month, starting in February, we will be starting to have guests on the podcast. Uh, and that'll be really exciting to, to start because I know uh, I've gotten a lot of requests for that. And I know we have a ton of people with some great football knowledge that would love to come on and, and share it with the world. Yeah, I'm really excited for it, Justin. Um, You know, I think JP will end up being one of those guests, um, really knowledgeable guy. I've heard him speak about LAFC uh, in the past and whatnot. So excited to have him on. But yeah, I set you up on that one because I knew we should get that announcement uh, out there before we dig into the rest of these questions. Um, So for an actual starting point, Justin, let's go to this question from at underscore grod. And he asks, if Arsenal fail to win the Carabao Cup or finish top four, should Arteta get sacked? He thinks yes because of the amount of money spent in the summer window. Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, as from another LAFC guy, good friend, who has the same name as you, right, Garrett? Uh, goes by G Money on, on Twitter. Um, 
but yeah, he this he he's been he's been against Arteta, man. I, I don't see it. I I mean, I'm seeing it from the outside rather than him being an Arsenal fan, you know, looking at it from the inside. Um, but I, I like Arteta, man. He's been doing a lot of good work for uh, Arsenal. I think top four is ambitious. I think it can happen, though. Obviously, um, there's there's just going to be competition from Tottenham, from West Ham, uh, potentially for Manchester United, but it's looking less and less likely by the week. Uh, on that point and yeah he's in the Carabao Cup right he's good chance to go to the final as we just mentioned uh, with being able to to pull out that draw against Liverpool at Anfield Uh, and so they have the second leg at home great chance for them to go through with Salah and Mane not there Um, but even if even if he didn't accomplish one of those things I like him and I think that the the progress that he's been making uh, at Arsenal not just just not just with results, but with the young players coming through, Saka, Smith Rowe, etc. And he's gonna he's been, I mean, without a bombing this recently because all those issues, um, he's gonna ship him out. Lacazette may go too, which means he might bring another player, potentially Vlahovic. We'll see. But I just I like the work that he's been doing. Uh, I believe in the year in the past year in, in 2021. Uh, I believe Arsenal had what one less point than Liverpool or something like that over the entire uh, course of the year. So it's it's not like they're not uh, making progress. Yeah, no, Justin, I totally agree with you. Um, I have not been big on Arteta. I failed to see the vision, the direction of the club. Obviously, the beginning of last season was absolutely horrid for them, and they were breaking a lot of records, but not in a good way. Um, but this season, you know, obviously lost the first three games, but since then they've been really good. And this team is only going to get better because of the youth, as you mentioned, Saka, Smithrow, Odegaard, Ben White, all these players only getting better, right? If they bring in that striker, they're going to be in a good position. Um, and, and we got to put this into perspective. Like, yes, Arsenal are a huge club, you know, one of the biggest clubs in England, in, in the world even, right? It's, it's historically very successful, especially domestically. But they have not finished in the top four since Wenger left. And you can't expect Arteta to be Wenger within a couple of seasons, right? So um, I think the fact that they're as close to it as they are is probably good enough you know, I, I think he's going to keep his job. I think it would be insane for them to sack him, um, considering just what the that club's level has been at the last couple of years. So um, I, I definitely don't think he will be sacked, and I don't think he should get sacked either. I think he is doing a good job. And honestly, at this point, I, I think Arsenal have a good chance of getting that fourth spot. It's really kind of between them and Spurs for me at the moment. You know, West Ham hanging around as well it's not going to be united let's be honest um but i don't know west ham that loss to leeds kind of shows a little bit of fallibility and when you think about the fact that arsenal have two games in hand over west ham and tottenham have four games in hand over west ham um i think it's going to be between those two north london derby rivals for who gets that last champions league spot it should be a really interesting uh course of events yeah, and it should be. And looking at the future of clubs, we can go to our uh, repeated participant, uh, who also will probably be a guest in the future, uh, Cityzilla. On, Inst- on and he says, um, "What will happen to Man City when Pep leaves?" That's a really good question. Well, I think you know, obviously, the signings that have been made and the youth kind of coming through the academy. You know, thinking about Cole Palmer and whatnot. Um, it's going to be interesting just to see, you know, I think obviously the club is, is in good hands with those players. I think the managerial choice will be really interesting, but it would not surprise me if City go for someone, um, you know, with a kind of similar footballing philosophy to Pep, right? Obviously, I, I don't expect City to be as insanely dominant as they are. It's going to take a little bit of time, but if they get that appointment right with the young players that they have, you know, Foden, Grealish, are all going to be there for a long time. Ruben Diaz even is still very young. People don't like you. We tend to forget how young Ruben Diaz is. It's actually quite scary. Um, So I think city will be fine. Obviously Um, who that manager is going to be. I have no idea, to be honest. We've seen kind of, you know, right last week we were asked about Arteta or Vieira. Um, I don't think it'll be, it'll be one of them. It could be a high profile appointment, right? When Guardiola came in that like, that was a big, big deal he left Bayern to go to city. So um, 
I think it might take a couple of years to kind of get back to where it is right now when Pep leaves. I think it's very possible that a different club will come in and, and pip a title for a season or two. But then, you know, I, I expect City with the force that they are in domestic and European football to, to get back to, you know, maybe not quite as good as they have it right now because they're, you know, probably the best team in the world at the moment and have been for a while other than losing that game against Chelsea. Um, so they'll be fine. Yeah, it's, it's uh, similar as, as I see another question from Palmer Prop. What do you think Manchester City team will look like in 2026? Essentially the same question. Uh, I think that the thing is that to me, the domination may not continue in the way that it, it has because Pep Guardiola is arguably the best manager of all time. We got questions about that later coming on, but um, he, the way that he is able to just string these incredible uh, streaks that we've been talking about, you know, 12 straight wins in a row uh, is incredible, but it, it's, it's hard for another manager to do the same thing. I still think that, Manchester City will continue to compete for that title year on year, but I don't think uh, winning four and five years is, is going to be a repeated occurrence. Yeah, Justin, and let's move on to that other question um, that, that you just mentioned, which is comparing Pep to one of the other greatest managers of all time in Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, and it's Godiola who asks, who would you rather take? Pep or Sir Alex? Justin, I think I know what you're going to say for this one, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, you would be right. Um, and, and I know people will think it's biased, but to me it is Pep Guardiola. And there's the reason for this being uh, I, I know Sir Alex Ferguson and his amount of trophies and his numbers, Premier Leagues. I understand this argument. But to me, he did it in one league and he did it, um, and he did it without the, the type of competition that Pep Guardiola does it against. Um, Pep took over Barcelona, completely transformed them, uh, you know, put, put Messi in the spotlight, made him the best player in the world as he's continued to be for the next, the rest of his career. Um, and, and Pep then went to Bayern, did it there. I know people, yeah, Bayern, okay, maybe dominate their league, but then he comes to, uh, the, to, to the Premier League. And this is the main argument for me, because what, what did Sir Alex Ferguson say when Pep Guardiola came to the league? He said he won't be able to employ this strategy. He said Manchester City will never be uh, bigger than Manchester United in my lifetime. They'll never be able to uh, outperform Manchester United. And Pep Guardiola has taken what people thought would be an extremely competitive league, and he's turned it into a farmer's league. Uh, it, it's it's unbelievable what he can do, and uh, to me, it, it proves that he is the best manager of all time. The way that he will transform any team uh, in any league, and he will win titles for them. You make a really good argument, Justin. It's hard for me to disagree with you, but I will play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, before Sir Alex moved to United, he took Aberdeen to a European Cup's winner, a European Cup Winners Cup. Uh, title and then won the European Super Cup with Aberdeen, which is impressive. And then obviously, like, I don't need to talk about United. Was it 13 Premier League titles won, five FA Cups, couple Champions Leagues? Um, to be honest, I think what kind of club you are at um, does play a part in this, the answer to this question. You know, is it a club like Bayern or Barcelona, right? A massive club. Or are we talking about something more like an Aberdeen? Because um, I think Pep's philosophy, as much as it is impressive that he has been able to employ it in the Premier League, he's kind of had the perfect circumstances too, right? In, within City, um, incredible talent pool, a lot of money to spend on the players that he wants to bring in. And, you know, the recruitment has been fantastic, but obviously we know it has not been cheap. So, um, I, I think it, it's a really interesting question, Justin. Um, but I think we, it, like in my mind, it, it's almost a little bit futile to compare to compare the two, just because they are the two greatest. And I don't really think anyone else is is really close. Like maybe Brian Clough, you could put in there a little bit. I don't think Mourinho is in the same league as Guardiola or Sir, or Sir Alex whatsoever, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's a great manager. He did some great stuff in the past, but he fell off so hard and neither Pep or Sir Alex did that. I expect Pep just like Sir Alex to be winning titles until the day he retires. So um, it's a really good question. 
I'll I'll take Sir Alex just so it's not unanimous. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, and we can move on to a couple questions about Kyle Walker. First one comes from Kyle Runner, so I think you know where he he thinks about this. Uh, where does Kyle rank among the greatest fullbacks of the last five Premier League seasons? Uh, and then and then uh, another very pro Kyle Walker question for Velkney. Walker's or it's not even a question; it's more of a more of a hot take. Walker's pace, among other things, makes him the best right back in the world. He is able to pocket any player in the world, and also he's good at attacking. Uh, so a, a little hot take and a question there, Garrett. What do you think about these one? I know we've talked about Kyle Walker previously on this podcast. Yeah, we talked about him. Uh, you know, about among being like amongst top five. Premier League right backs of all time. We both said Gary Neville over the last five seasons, he's probably the best, right? Probably him and Trent, right? Even though yeah. Trent's been around for, you know, a little less time, probably three, four seasons, you'd say really when Trent broke through. Um, so yeah, no, Kyle Walker's a phenomenal player, but in terms of him being the best right back in the world, he's not even the best right back at his own club. So I'm not sure how he can be the best right back in the world when he's not as good as Jao Cancelo because yeah, no Kyle Walker, his recovery speed is, is amazing and he can, you know, buccaneer forward and then that pace can kind of bail him out if he's out of position because he can just recover so quickly, but no, he's just not as good as Jao Cancelo and he's not the what best about right ones back from in the other world clubs? because Jao Cancelo is. Okay. What about outside of the city? Okay. Outside of city. Um, man, it's, it's a tough, he's, he's probably up there. I mean, obviously you talk about Trent, obviously you talk about Reese James. It's just so funny that, you know, the, you know, four best right backs in the world, you'd probably say at the moment are all playing in the Premier League. Three of them are English. Um, so, you know, pocket any player in the world, definitely not true in my opinion. Um, I, I don't think he would pocket Mbappe, Messi, you know, he has, whatnot, he has but he has mm, though. I don't know, yeah, man, yeah. that, that stunner that Messi scored against you guys didn't really seem like he was in Kyle Walker's pocket there. No, Mbappe and Neymar, he's pocketed uh, in the champions league a couple times though. I will say either way I, I stand by, I don't think he's the best right back in the world. Yeah, I, I think, but I, I do think that it's, it's really hard. I think, in the past, we've said he, he was bordering on that world-class status. I think it's hard to deny that he's not world-class anymore. Um, it, it just in the last Chelsea game, Lukaku played a through ball, and uh, I, can't, I don't know if it was Ziyech or who, who was on to it, but um, the, Kyle Walker just paced, outpaced him and won the ball back without even making it an issue. It was, it was ridiculous. He should have been through on goal, um, but it... it Obviously, people are going to call him a pace merchant. There's no doubt about that. But obviously, his pace is a massive part of his game. I will say the one thing that I don't know is really so accurate about Velkney's comment is, and he's good at attacking. He's, he's good, maybe, but he's not. he doesn't exceed in the attacking like the no. newest fullbacks, the newer fullbacks do. Uh, the, what impresses me about Kyle Walker is his consistency and his uh, just ability to constantly uh, play defensively and not give up chances through that right side. Uh, and we've talked about how before it allows Jao Cancelo when he's on that left side to fly forward almost as a midfielder uh, and not have to worry because Kyle Walker will shift almost to, to that back three and not have issues defensively for Manchester City. So best in the world, I don't know because, yeah, obviously Trent is massively better attackingly, but Kyle's I mean, a better defensive I, I, one. I'd argue that Walker is the is probably the worst out of the four going forward. The four that I mentioned. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, th I think James, Trent, Cancelo are all much more dangerous. Their quality of service is, is more consistent. And so, yeah, that is definitely something that holds Walker back. Um, He's a more you know old what? school player. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um so yeah, like he's a great player. He's a great player. And he, and city are, are, you know, it's he, you're right. He frees up Cancelo to be Cancelo, which is a big deal because Cancelo is utterly world-class. You know, there's kind of a question about Kyle Walker, but so far this season, Jao Cancelo, it's not a question. Um, he is very much world-class and Justin moving to the other side of Manchester. We have a couple questions about United here. Um, and both, you know, we've talked about United a good amount, but you know, what we were saying about, oh, well, Ragnick's ideas, how long will they take to come through? Well, they're still taking a while, Justin, because city or because United rather are, are not doing super great. Are they? 
The first question comes from at uh, football KS10, and he says, should Ronaldo be benched for younger attacking options at United? And then the other question comes from Sam's Ginger, and he says, where do you really, where do you realistically see United finishing this season? What do they need to do to turn their season around? So obviously we talked about this a few weeks ago when they were yeah. much more in the race for that top four spot. At this point, uh, I really don't think they are. They're only three points behind Arsenal with the same amount of games played. But the fact of the matter is that Arsenal are you know consistently performing better than United. United are kind of all over the place. So I expect Arsenal to you know, make that gap bigger. So honestly, Justin, I'm going to say seventh. I think that's, I think they're going to, you know, pull a David Moyes season, uh, 2013, 14, when they finished seventh, I think they're going to stay exactly where they are. Yeah. I think, yeah, we, we've kind of answered this before, right? We, neither of us think it'll be the top four. Uh, I think seventh is, is a really fair shout, honestly, um, because I think the Conte coming into Tottenham uh, is really made them a top four contender uh, in my opinion. And then obviously see Arsenal continue. We've just talked about Arteta and, and how we feel about that. And then West Ham, obviously David Moyes and, and West Ham just continuing to have an impressive season sitting in that fourth place spot right now. Um, and then as far as Ronaldo being benched for younger attacking options, I, I honestly, I'm going to have to still say no, because I don't think that he should be benched. I think that the issue has been the system. And uh, the one thing that Ole actually realized was 4-2-3-1 is the best formation for the squad of United. Uh, and Ragnick seems to maybe have realized that too, because that's what he played against Aston Villa for the first time. Uh, having switched from that 4-2-2-2 really weird formation that just doesn't fit United with the amount of wingers that they have. They need to put wingers and then uh, it, it make Ronaldo up top alone. Uh, is there and then of course Cavani can do the same thing because he was there uh, against Villa because Ronaldo was out of course still with uh, his niggling injury but yeah I think that if Ronaldo is sitting up there by himself it, it maybe puts less on him to press which I know is, is the question about him and Ragnick's system uh, and then it, it frees up the the talent of Bruno at the 10 and then you put whoever Sancho or Rashford whoever you want on the, on those wings yeah, I mean, I think that four two 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 kind of, you know, it's almost like a, a Hassan Hoodle style formation, right? Um, that was, you know, trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. It just did not fit United squad. Um, I think at this point, United haven't been good enough going forward, and it's pretty hard to argue that you know, when you need goals to, that you should have Cristiano Ronaldo on your bench and not in your starting 11, because that's what Ronaldo does. He scores goals. He may not offer a whole lot elsewhere, but um, that's what he provides. And that is what United need. So I, I agree with you there, Justin. Um, we have a question here from Daniel at Stonesologist. And he says, what's your thoughts on using goals slash assists to compare players? Great question, uh, because it's something that often goes around on Twitter, right? These comparisons of players just based on these statistics. I think it's what I think. I think it's narrow minded. Um, I think there's a lot more to the game of football. And yes, goals and assists are very important. Uh, you can use them as part of an argument. But to say a player is better because they have more goals or assists is is just not accurate generally. Uh, and so I think it should be a, a part of a larger argument. I agree with that, but I, I do think it's, you know, especially for attacking players, I still think it is, you know, probably the biggest part of that argument, right? There's other things as well, right? We look at, at FB ref and whatnot, ball progression, key passes, whatnot. Those are all still very important, but if you're an attacker, you need to produce, and that is production, our goals and assists, because that's how you win the game, is by putting the ball into the back of the net. So I think people, yeah, I agree that people, you know, take it too much as scripture in terms of, you know, goal, oh, this person had more goals, so they're better. No, that's, you know, it's, it's not that clear cut, but I do still think it's a very important measure, especially for players on, you know, at the top end of the, of the pitch, you know, obviously less so for defenders and whatnot. Um, unless, you know, you have Steve Bruce scoring 20 goals from center back in a season for United, which is mental. I still can't wrap my head around that, Justin. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I agree with your sentiment for the most part. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen this has been coming into the uh, talk a lot because we had a quote from Kareem Benzema recently. We no longer bother to look at what a guy does on the pitch, just who has scored, and the next day we consider him the best. It's happened to me. I don't play a good game, but I score, and they consider me the best. I don't really like this type of football, but it's going to be more and more like that. It's become a sport in which you just look at the statistics. Again, that's a quote from Kareem Benzema, who's one of the top strikers in the world, right? Uh, so he scores a lot of goals, but he's saying that's not all there is to football, and you guys got to realize that. Yeah, and, and I agree with that, but at the end of the day, you're a striker. Your job is to score goals. So, Which, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Justin, this is a question for you from Adelgang, and he says, which left back is Man City going to get? Well, here's the thing to me. Why do we need a left back? I don't get it. I mean, Cancelo on the left is perfect. He is the best left back in the world, even though he's a right back. Uh, Kyle Walker is obviously in the left, and Zinchenko, to me, is is a fantastic backup. Why do we need to go sign a left back? If we're going to sign one, maybe Theo Hernandez, I, I don't know. Um, but I just don't see a need. Yeah, I mean, it would really just be whether you can upgrade on Zinchenko, but it seems a little yeah, bit unnecessary. There's been rumors Zinchenko go to Newcastle. I, I don't see that happening, but I, it could happen maybe um, if he wants to get more playing time, you know. But I, I, to me, he seems that he's enjoying Manchester City, uh, and to me, he's a he's quality backup. So I don't really see a need, but if I had to pick one that we're going to get, I would probably say Theo Hernandez. Yeah, but at the same time, that's going to cost an insane amount of money. Um, Theo Hernandez, yeah. prying him out of AC Milan is going to cost a lot. And City need to save their money, Justin, because it's a perfect segue into at total transfers question, which is about Erling Hollins, right? We've talked about it a couple times, but um, the, the transfer fee, obviously we know about the release clause. I think it's 80 million euros. Correct me if I'm wrong. Something like that. 75 or 80. Yeah. Million, yeah. yeah. Um, but with the Mino Raiola fee and um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff apparently the number being quoted for the package is around 350 million pounds. That seems extremely steep. I don't know how we get there. Maybe if you're signing Holland to like a seven year bumper contract, you're getting to that number, but that seems like very inflated to me. I personally don't think uh, money is going to be that much of an issue for city um, on, on the books. You guys are going to be doing pretty well, made it to the champions league final, going to win another premier league. Um, you know, obviously could get to another champions league final, if not win it again, you know, win it this season. So, uh, and you just sold Ferran Torres for a solid amount of money. And if you need to make a little bit more room for Erling Holland, I, I don't see why you guys wouldn't do that because, you know, bringing Holland in that would really settle your guys's future. In my opinion, the questions about, Oh, what happens when Pep leaves? Well, if you have Erling Holland, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Ruben Diaz in the same team, you're going to be fine. So, um, you know, we could see Jesus leave as a make weight. You know, it's not like there's no uh, assets in city squad that they would be willing to uh, sell on to, to bring Holland in. So I still think the answer is yes. I still think he's going to city. I, I love to hear that confidence because to me, it's, I, I hope he comes obviously his father with the links to city, but to me, Madrid still have to be the front runner. I think city are that second team because I don't think that um, many other teams that can afford it or, or need him or, or can, there's just very few teams that can afford him at all. Um, you know, and, and Byron being one of them, but they have Leva and, I don't know if that's, you know, the move that's going to happen within Bundesliga. Um, I don't think Holland would do that either. And then, yeah, Barcelona could probably afford it because of their, the, they, uh, have, and even though they have a lot of financial struggles, they got a uh, 500 million loan from uh, Goldman Sachs. So they now have some money to spend on, on transfers. It's just that wage bill that's really become their problem, which, which certainly they would have to move players on to bring Holland in. But I don't think Holland would want to go there. So yeah, to me, to me, Madrid are still the front runner, um, but I, I think City are in that second place, and I think it's a very, very close race. I just think Madrid. I think Madrid are going to get Mbappe, and when they sign Mbappe to what is inevitably going to be an insanely large contract, I, I don't think Holland's going to be following him there. That seems almost too much like you know career mode to me. Yeah. Yeah, it would be insane to have them both on the same team uh, for the next decade. It would be, uh, I mean, you, Madrid would win the, the league pretty much every year. 
All right. One of our last questions here comes from LAFC Uruguay, and he says, what do you think about Ronald Araujo, obviously a Uruguayan, um, and the rumors linking him to United, he says in uh, parentheses, the biggest Manchester club. So he's on JP's side and not yours, Justin. <laughs> um, and Chelsea. Apparently he's also linked to Chelsea. Um, I can start on this one. I mean, he's a decent young player, right? Um, playing center back for, for Barcelona. Um I mean, I think he's all right. Do I think that he would significantly improve Chelsea? Maybe not. Would take some improvement. Um, but, you know, they are likely to lose Rudiger and potentially Christensen as well. So I do definitely need some more center backs in. I think it might make a little bit more sense for Chelsea. Although United, a lot has been made about Varane kind of underperforming and Harry Maguire not being worth the insane amount of money that they paid for him. So, I mean, it could be a decent signing for Chelsea, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean... As you say, they can lose Rudiger, Christensen, Aspilicueta. Uh, it, they need to fill up that back line. Uh, and Araujo could be that guy. He, he's very attacking, you know, center back. He's, his attacking numbers are really, really good. Um, progressing the ball, expected goals in, in the box, expected assists. Um, but but it's that it's defensively, I mean, uh, he has a lot of blocks. But other than that, I mean, his interceptions aren't that high. His clearances are extremely low. Um pretty average in pressures uh, and aerials has a good amount of tackles, but yeah, I mean, I think that United, if he goes there, it's just another one uh, of United trying to reach and finding a top center back and maybe overpaying uh, potentially as well, as well as they did with McGuire. Um, Cause they have, you know, what four center backs now that none of them are really good enough for, for what Manchester United need or aren't performing well enough. Yeah, I, I agree, Justin. Um, we'll move on to the second question um, that JP sent in, and we're moving over to MLS. And he says, what grade would you give the uh, transfer window for the earthquakes, uh, actually, is what he says at first. And then he said, Almeida can't succeed with the lack of reinforcements. Um, and then we'll, let the, we'll let's talk about that first, Justin, and then we can move on kind of the second part of his comment. Um, yeah. I think it's hard for me to give a grade at the moment but if I were to give one, I'd say maybe B plus A minus just because of the amount of dead wood that has been shifted on the likes of Fierro and Andy Rios and Bersano and the list goes on and on of players who just weren't really good enough who we got off the wage bill. Um, and he's not wrong that there is a lack of reinforcements thus far. We haven't really brought many people in other than a couple homegrowns or two uh, super draft picks. And then obviously we brought in Jan Gregouche as a part of the reentry draft, um, who I think is a good signing. And I think we'll probably end up starting a lot of games for us. Um, but I'm not worried about players not coming in because when you look at the roster, there's so much room that there's no chance we're not bringing in players. And, you know, we kind of have been notorious for doing some late business. Um, obviously the season starts a bit early this year because of the world cup. So I'm hoping that it's, you know, we'll start getting some more players in before the end of January, uh, before we move in into February. But um, I'm not really worried at the moment. I, I think the squad as it is, and Justin, we've been discussing this over text for a while. I think the squad right now is, you know, probably the best it's been in, a, in, in quite a while for the earthquakes. And with some more additions, I think we could use a right back. We could use probably another center back, um, you know, could be looking at, at a, a promising season for the earthquakes. I don't want to get my hopes up because uh, I, I've learned from that mistake far too many times. <laughs> yeah. I, I think what you say is, is pretty accurate, right? Obviously you're going to have a very uh, knowledgeable take on, on your own team. Um, but I think that, yeah, this has to be the, the, the season that the quakes are really aiming to, to get into those playoff spots um, to, because that, that to me, that would be a successful season for them. As you say, they have – I mean, that front four is, is probably the best we've seen for San Jose in, in a long time. Um, and then filling those gaps, as you say, there have to be players coming in. It's, it's a situation that LAFC were in a couple weeks ago where we were sitting there, where are these players? Uh, because there's just massive gaps in the squad. And then we get Ilya Sanchez, we get Kellen Acosta, uh, two, two large signings, especially the Acosta signing. I mean, a massive deal within MLS, right? Um, and so it seems that San Jose, maybe not to get those level of players, but they will be filling in those gaps uh, soon to, to, to help. And then, of course, Almeida. I mean, he's, he's a good coach, and he hasn't been able to really show it at San Jose. I think this could be the year that he proves it to the league. 
Yeah, and but also the situation is a little different, right? Because you guys were are looking for players who, you know, will be starting. Like Kellen Acosta will be starting for LAFC. You lost Atuesta, and and you know we're you're going to be needing players to to be in there. Where for us, I think our starting eleven, other than probably the right back and and the center back, which is the two things I mentioned, I think the starting eleven's pretty set. I mean, we have too many options in midfield, so I think it's more about depth, which is why I'm not really that worried. And then. Quickly moving on to the second part of his question, he said, should LAFC wait for their DP to come in the summer and truly target uh, what the team needs rather than just getting a big attacking player right now? Justin, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, there's, we talked about this earlier on, uh, on, on the Voice of the Black and Gold. If you're an LAFC fan, I suggest you listen to that. But um, yeah, he, I think that I would love to see a DP come in prior to the season. I think it's getting a little bit tight, but um, I'd love to see it happen because LFC starting their fifth year now have never had three DPs the entire year. Um, so we'll see what happens with it, but I get the idea of wanting to wait for the summer. Maybe Vela leaves you, you can fill that gap um, and you get a better idea. But I think that getting a big attacking player, as JP said, could be helpful. I mean, if you get a number nine, uh, Chicho just moves back into that 10. It gives a lot of depth in that midfield as well, because you see Fu, if he goes uh, abroad, if he goes to the, the international duty, or if he were to be sold um, because he's getting a, a lot of, a lot of attention as well as his fellow Ecuadorian Diego Palacios. So yeah, I think that either way it works for me. Um, but I would like to see three DPs the entire season for the first time in LAFC history. All right, Justin, we've got just a couple questions to get through here. Um, firstly, we have uh, at Father Diaz season, who has been a regular contributor. So thank you to him. He says, thoughts on the best awards, which were given out today, particularly the best men's player and the FIFA Pro World 11. So the best player, unsurprisingly, I think was given to uh, Robert Lewandowski um, and the FIFA Pro World 11. I, I think it's, you know, not exactly, it's, it's not really surprising, I, I don't think. Yeah, I think maybe the, the one surprising one in that 11 might be Alaba. I'm not sure how he really. That's exactly what there. I was going to. Well, Benu, I mean, Benucci is, is a little bit of Euro shout. tax there, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I mean, Donnarumma in it, I think, makes sense for Eurotax. I think uh, Eurotax. I think Jorginho, as much as I don't agree with how high he was in Ballon d'Or, and, and <laughs> I think we both think he's a bit overrated. Um, you know, after this, after the year he had, I, I still think he probably deserves to be in this eleven. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It's interesting that they. Well, yeah, I think it's also interesting that they chose four attackers playing a three-three-four. So that's cool. Um, but I, the other part is I don't know how Salah did not get in there. He has to be. No, you're, you're, you're totally right. I think he should a thousand. And, and if we're looking at one of the four attackers to take out, it has to be Cristiano Ronaldo. Yep. It has to be. Yeah, it, like, it does. The, it does. His, yeah. his year has not been top 11 in the world. It just hasn't. I know that his name, people want to put him in every single top 11, but that doesn't mean he, he deserves it. Um, I just don't see that. Uh, men's player, yeah, Lewandowski. I, it, I honestly happy to see him get it right. He doesn't get the Ballon d'Or, but Messi gets it, which I, I will never complain about because you know just just another one to stack on on the resume for uh, Messi and and prove he's the best of all time. But uh, Lewandowski deserves some credit for the year he's had, and in getting that award is his credit. Um, and then the the manager of the year, which was given to Thomas Tuchel, that is. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, yeah, I think that I think both of the other managers nominated uh, were better, Pep Guardiola and Roberto Mancini. I think both had a better year. Mancini taking Italy from a team that did not qualify for the World Cup uh, to winning the Euros is is incredible, incredible. But at the same um, time, they might not qualify for the World Cup again. So that's true. That's a good point. But um, but that's not part of the last season. That's part of this coming year. So. Yeah, I, I just don't see that. And then Pep Guardiola, I mean, yes, Tuchel won the Champions League against Pep and, and he won the Super Cup, but Pep Guardiola has dominated the Premier League. Uh, Pep Guardiola, Tuchel has proved to be no competition in, in the Prem. Uh, he won a Carabao Cup, took City to the final of the Champions League. Um, so uh, to me, Pep Guardiola is the, is the manager of the year. 
Yeah, I think I have to agree with you on that one. But overall, like it could it could have been a lot worse. Um, to be honest, the the awards and and the eleven. So yeah, I don't really care that much about it in the first place. And just talking about Salah, I think I I'd be absolutely shocked. Uh, if he doesn't win PFA player of the year and pretty much every award for the Premier League at the end of this season. So he'll get his recognition there. But yeah, I think the fact, I don't know how Salah is still, you know, really like underrated by these awards and stuff. And the fact like his, his position in the Ballon d'Or voting was absolutely ridiculous. He should have been top five at least. Right. And he was somewhere in the twenties or like just insane. Yeah. And Justin, I think we have one more question. It comes from G9. Um, it's not a question. It's actually just a topic. And he said, the increasing importance of the ball playing center back in the current era. Um, it, it's, a, it's a good thought. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of the same trend as the goalkeeper when you think about it. You know, goalies nowadays, real elite ones, need to be able to play with their feet. Um, the, that's probably a, a, probably a newer emergence than the ball playing center back because we look at, you know, one of the best teams of all time, which is that, Barcelona squad from you know around 09 to 03 to 13 rather um and you know you have PK and Puyol who were two center backs very good with the ball at their feet um so yeah I I think obviously you need defenders who can defend um and that is probably still the most important thing but what separates good center backs from elite center backs is that ability to distribute and progress the ball Yep, absolutely. Uh, something that you, you really see in the newer center backs. Virgil van Dijk uh, has been fantastic at it, of course. He's uh, just spraying balls out to Trent or, or even Robertson all the way on the opposite wings can do can ping it to Salah as well and get an assist in that way. Um, yeah, and, and you see that with the city center backs as well. You see it in, in Chelsea starting to Rudiger can do it, but um yeah i mean it's as garrett said it is what separates the good from the elite yeah and with that justin i think that will bring this episode to a close um we'll see what happens with that arsenal liverpool second leg but hopefully that will have been completed by the time we record next week's episode we have some more exciting games coming up um, we actually have Brighton Chelsea tomorrow, Justin, but there's some other good matchups, Leicester versus Tottenham on Wednesday. Um, some other good games this weekend, uh, Chelsea Tottenham in the league on Sunday, um, which will be good. Um, so thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90 football, um, to get your questions featured next week. We love answering them. Absolutely. We do. And we're going we're excited to, to announce those, those uh, guests that are going to be coming on next month starting. It's going to be really fun to get more uh, great opinions for you guys on this podcast. Yeah, so stay tuned, um, and we will see you next week.